0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Columbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, it's good, bad and crazy Martinis for conservatives to start out the week. Hope you had a great weekend and Jim, final preseason games in the books. The Bears have beaten the Seahawks and The Cleveland Browns were clearly ready to make a very deep, deep run. Uh, We did beat the Chiefs as well, but uh, we looked better than everybody expected. I hope the Jets did as well.
1: Oh, not only uh, did they look well, Greg, they're undefeated in preseason, (laughs) much like the Detroit Lions in the year that they went completely winless and went 0-16, to show you how much (laughs) preseason matters. But in fact, the New York Jets have not lost a preseason game in three years. Now, some of that's because they went two, zero, and one out of the three games last year. And in twenty twenty there were no preseason games
0: because of the COVID pandemic. <laughs>
1: but I have not had to say, oh, Jets lose preseason game. Of course they mean nothing, but hey, this is when we get all of our wins out of the way.
0: That's right. That's right. The goal in the regular season is to, is to get at least as many wins as you did in the preseason. And for the Jets and Bears, that's it could be a tall we order. We can take
1: pride knowing our guys who are about to be cut are better than their guys who are about to be cut. <laughs>
0: All right. All right. Well, let's get on to our good martini today. And Jim, I love it when a crazy martini or a bad martini turns into a good martini because the people with the terrible idea have at least in some ways seen the light. Not entirely, but at least we're making some progress here. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how Washington, D.C. public schools were requiring every student age 12 and older to have had the COVID shot. Well, statistics show that between the ages of 12 and 17 or 18, whatever they they gauge, uh, 40 percent of black students in Washington, D.C. had not been vaccinated. So therefore, they would not be allowed into school after initial protests. No change whatsoever. But kudos to the Daily Signal for staying on top of this story. And now there's at least a reprieve. It says fewer than 24 hours after the Daily Signal reported that the District of Columbia would not offer remote learning and plan to bar unvaccinated students, many of whom are black, from attending school in person 20 days after school started on Monday. The city abruptly announced it was delaying the policy until next year. DCist reported that Washington, D.C. Deputy Mayor for Education Paul Kinn announced that enforcement of the COVID 19 vaccine mandate would not begin until January 3rd, 2023. Students 12 and up who are not vaccinated against COVID 19 will receive a notice of non compliance on November 21st. If they do not comply by January 3rd, 2023, they will no longer be able to attend school in person. So we'll see if that gets pushed back, Jim. Um, anytime. There's a uh, thing that says, if you do not uh, have your whatever done by this time, it is, it is non-compliant. It reminds me of Simon Peter Gruber and the, the riddles he was giving John McClain and uh, and Zeus uh, in, in Die Hard with a Vengeance. But uh, uh, at least sanity has got a foothold here. We'll see what happens as we get closer to the end of the year.
1: So, Greg, I kind of wonder if we're going to end up in this pattern of eternally you know pushing the deadline out a little bit further threatening dire consequences and oh, we're gonna crack down on you. And then of course, when not nearly enough students have met the, the deadline and certainly indicate that they are not uh, not caring about the deadline, um, that the DC school board will simply kick it back, push it back a little bit further. Uh, look, the electorate has heard all about the benefits of vaccination. They have heard and seen the benefits of vaccination. Some, many people have gotten vaccinated. Many people have got boosted. Many people have chosen not to, or I should say, some people have chosen not to. A higher percentage of people have looked at it, looked at the risk to their kids, and decided, you know what, I'm just not going to do it. Now we can argue, we can you know, we can argue with them until we're blue in the face, but we can't make them do it. And I think the parents have effectively voted with their feet, or more specifically, they voted by not moving with their feet to a, <laughs> a you know vaccination center. Um, and a good, useful illustration of this, uh, I did not tell this to Greg before we started taping. So a week ago, Saturday, Mrs. Garrity has had this little bit of a f- faint cough since France comes back. Takes f- t- first COVID test came back negative. Then comes takes another one. She got COVID. So I get to handle all of the, you know, getting the kids ready for back to school and all that stuff. And I'm cooking the dinners and I'm taking care of all the kind of stuff. And Mrs. Garrity is con- actually, I'd say, convalescing. She had a mild cough for a day or two, and that was nothing. But anyway, I have a—I coughed this Saturday morning because something went down the wrong hole. <laughs> My wife says, you should get you should a COVID test. I'm like, honey, it's nothing. Come on, take a COVID test. I'm like, fine. I'm gonna take this COVID test just to show the blank line and just so I can prove to her how silly she's being. And then I see the tiniest, faintest second line on the test, which as we all know means I'm pregnant. No, it means that I <laughs> might have COVID doesn't seem very strong it's certainly not like the big bright you know contrast line you know the test line that they have next to it you, you probably would call this test result inconclusive like well okay so do I have to self-isolate kids are still going back to school do I have to you know they have big plans for Sunday do I have to worry about all this stuff so we decide that you know I'm, I'm just keeping away from everybody wearing a mask kind of this, and it's not a matter of like I'm worried about my health I feel fine but there's a the question of you don't want the kids to get it as we get into the second week of school. Saturday afternoon we take another test and it's the same thing. If this were any more faint, it would be like those 3D pictures where you have to stand at a certain distance in order to see the 3D image. (laughs) It's a really tiny, faint line. And my wife was like, well, you're either just starting to get it or you're just starting to finish it. Sunday morning I test negative, life can go on. But apparently all of last week I had COVID and did not know it. This is what it's like to be asymptomatic or something. This is no longer the crisis level. It'd be really nice if these folks got Tested, but you know what? The risk to kids is the lowest. You know, the chances of a child having a severe reaction to COVID nineteen are remarkably small. You know, you can't make parents do this, and so I'm glad that the District of Columbia has decided. Okay, we're not going to shut off education to a significant portion of uh, the kids who live in the city, particularly minority kids. But. Uh, I, obviously, they you know could theoretically enforce this deadline later. I think the fact that they surrendered in this case is a good indicator that they can't really enforce this. They recognize the consequences of enforcement would be too severe and too harmful to those who need the most help. Uh, good news. It'd be nicer if they could admit, OK, parents, we strongly suggest you get your kids vaccinated but We're not keeping anybody out of school. Let's get the kids educated. Let's try to make up this education gap because we've got a lot of work to do.
0: Seriously, seriously. Inching towards sanity, but it's D.C. public schools, so you never know if you're actually going to get there. But uh, all I can hear is Jeremy Irons' voice going, I'm afraid this is noncompliance.
1: At minimum, that should be like the answering machine.
0: (laughs) We should should drop that in every once in a while. Uh, Great voice. He had a great voice. But if your kids do get COVID, Jim, and I hope they don't, but if they do, uh, a good way to pass the time other than doing the homework they weren't in school to get is maybe using the backbone system that you and I both got. and all you got to do is uh, you know slide your uh, smartphone in there and it's basically like a, like a joystick with one, any other sort of gaming system. It really ups the experience and we're proud to have them as a brand new sponsor.
1: Backbone has just released a PlayStation edition of their beloved Backbone One. Now, the officially licensed controller for PlayStation was brought to life in collaboration with the PlayStation design team. The elegant colors, materials, and finishes are all inspired by the design of the PS5 DualSense controller, all the way down to the transparent face buttons and its visually distinctive floating appearance. Simply plug in your iPhone into the Backbone and you can enjoy console quality controls as you play console games via remote play or cloud streaming services and app store games.
0: So go to playbackbone.com martini now to order your Backbone for a limited time and get free access to over 350 console games and perks. Backbone is now the official partner of Diablo Immortal. Not only is the game specifically optimized for Backbone, but you'll also receive $10 of in-game perks. So find your next adventure at playbackbone.com martini, playbackbone.com martini. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. It's kind of a double-fisted bad martini. You know, we knew we weren't going to get the world's greatest governor in Kathy Hochul when uh, Andrew Cuomo was forced to resign last year. But man, is she horrible. She's horrible on so many different levels. Uh, You talked about her quite a bit today in the Morning Jolt. uh, As a result of uh, her comments to Trump and Lee Zeldin and uh, one of the candidates who was defeated in the primary last week. I think it was in the New York special election in the 19th congressional district, where she didn't just say, you know, we're glad we won, let's see if we can work together. No, 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 none of that. Uh, We don't like you and you need to leave New York is what she said. And here's exactly how she said it.
1: And we're here to say that the era of Trump and Zeldin and Molinaro just jump on a bus and head down to Florida where you belong, okay? Get out of town. Get out of town. Cuz you don't re- you don't represent our values. You are not New Yorkers.
0: Not New Yorkers. Well, Jim, if that weren't enough, Kathy Hochul is trying to play a fascinating game of revisionist history where she's pretending uh, that she uh, wasn't part of the decision-making process to uh, close schools during the COVID pandemic. Now, Cuomo was the front man at that point. Uh, she was only the lieutenant governor, but I'm pretty sure if she had had a vocal opposition, it would have uh, made some headlines somewhere. But here's Kathy Hochul trying to pretend that Democrats weren't teaming up with teachers unions to keep schools closed. And the decisions were made to have all the kids go home and learn remotely. Wow. Wow, what a mistake that was. What a mistake that was. Women couldn't go to their jobs. They lost their jobs or they thought they're back at their jobs. And one child in a classroom tests positive. The whole class goes home for a week and a half. I mean, it was chaos. Nothing short of chaos. And it just seems to have not ended. Yeah, this is just terrible, Jim. This is like when your kids dump out a whole bin of Legos and go, man, what a big mess this made.
1: If only Kathy Huckle was in some position where she could have done something about that. <laughs> You know, whenever some politician tells you, you know, you, you know, I was privately, passionately opposed to those deeply unpopular policies. You just couldn't see what I was doing to oppose it. You should be very suspicious. This this very much. So. Can it be true? I suppose so. But my guess, you know, most it, it is a if they say this, they're basically, you know, bragging about how ineffective they were. Look, maybe Kathy Hockle then did go to uh, Cuomo at some point and say, hey, We really got to reopen the schools. This is really harming kids. This is really harming families. This is really harming the economy. Maybe she did. Clearly, it had no impact on Cuomo's thinking or decision making whatsoever. Which, by the way, if that is the case, she should come out and say this. Uh, But you know, the idea of then the second thing is, if you believe very strongly about a policy, and you believe that the guy who's the head of government is ignoring your good advice, I think at some point you do have an obligation to say to take some of that criticism public. Maybe you can say, oh, I'm going to be a loyal and good soldier, but at some point the consequences become bad enough and severe enough that you have to say, you know what, Governor Cuomo, I can't keep my opposition to this quiet. I can't keep, hold my tongue any longer. I think you're making a critical error, a, a serious mistake with far-reaching consequences, and there's really no indication that that uh, she did any of this stuff. So, But the other thing that kind of jumped out at me, and I'm glad you played that audio, Greg, I'm putting this kind of into a pattern of Statements. Uh, ironically, one of the first was from Andrew Cuomo, who at one point said, "Pro-lifers, people who support assault weapons, stuff like that. There's no place for them here in New York, in New York State." Said, really? It got a little bit of pushback then, not a ton. Uh, you know, Cuomo was not nearly as big a deal back. I think it was 2014 when he said this. Um, now, you know, most people, ah, you know, okay, fine. It's just you know. Typical hyperbolic, uh, you know, Cuomo being a jerk, you know, new film at 11, who's, who's not used to that? But think about what he's saying. You know, one, if you say, you know, those who think different from me are a bunch of idiots, okay, you know, lots of people think that. There's nothing all that unusual about that. And there's nothing all that consequential about that. If you say, those who think different from me are idiots and they shouldn't be allowed to live here, well, now you're talking about something significantly different. And also, I would argue if your neighbor down the street says, ah, you know, Republicans shouldn't be allowed to live in this town. Okay, you know, he's a schmuck. Lots of people say stuff, you know, say schmucky things. When the governor of a state says there's, you know, no, you know, conservatives have no place in the state of New York. That's different because he's got to what he says and does. He has the power of the state government to turn his wishes into reality. Not always. He's got we have a constitution that's supposed to limit the power of the executive. But as we've seen, both from the pandemic and beyond, that there's you know increasingly fewer and fewer restrictions on what the uh, executive wants to do. But yeah, okay, it's Andrew Cuomo, it's a long time ago. Well, you have this statement from uh, Kathy Hochul, and then you've got what Charlie Crist said, middle of last week. He was asked about trying to win over supporters of Ron DeSantis, and he said, "'Those who support the governor should stay with him. "'I don't want your vote. "'If you have that hate in your heart, keep it there.'" Now, mind you, this is not Kathy Hochul saying Donald Trump don't come to New York which by the way still would be bad but at least you're focusing it on the opposition. Oh by the way, considering how somebody tried to stab Lee Zeldin, don't you think Hochul should turn down the rhetoric a little bit? Am I crazy? No, okay. I mean, he the, the guy who did it is out on bail. He's still walking around. He could he try to stab him again and he ain't any day now. Um this idea that we're no longer attacking the political opponent, the opposing candidate. We're opposing the voters. Of the opposing candidate we're criticizing and demonizing very much like basket of deplorables this is very bad for our country and i hear a lot of talk about oh are we leading headed towards the civil war and all that stuff well we've always had the nut job timothy mcveigh types we've always had uh you go back to the 60s and 70s the weather underground and, and you know all of these other radical groups that were setting off bombs i prefer we live in a world where we didn't have those groups but they're kind of like they're they're probably always going to be around in one form or another what we haven't always had are governors of states saying people who vote for my opponent don't belong here. People who vote for my opponent have hate in their hearts. People who vote for my, I don't want their support. I don't want to be morally tainted by them voting for us. And if you don't see this as being uh, pouring gasoline on the fire of social and political divisions, if you're worried about a civil war, you should not be saying that people who vote for the other guy aren't really New Yorkers, aren't really citizens, aren't really people. Called othering, which we're warned about that validly whenever it's done to, uh, you know, ethnic minorities or things like that. But the idea that well, people who vote for the other guy aren't really citizens—if you can't see how that's going to lead to trouble down the road, you are. What's that old saying? There are none so blind as those who will not see.
0: Now that's that's well said, and I think Charlie Crist could well be moving uh, to New York. It might hurt his orange complexion, if he does, uh, in those long winter months. But, uh, Jim, his uh, running mate is a um, teacher's union uh, person who demonized parents last year, and it just seems like he's doubling down on an eventual loss when he doesn't want anyone who voted for the guy who won last time to vote for him, and he's uh, picking the person that uh, perhaps will be least appealing uh, as, as a part of his ticket. So we will see. Uh, exit point on the... Um, the school closings from Kathy Hochul, when Andrew Cuomo made that decision, he was the darling of the left and the media. He was being giving a tongue bath by uh, everybody in the mainstream media. He was being even considered as a fill-in for Biden if he couldn't uh, quite meet the mental capacity uh, by the time the convention rolled around. There's no way Kathy Hochul was <laughs> knocking on his door and telling him to change course. I'm sure she was right there lockstep with him. All right, on to our crazy martini now, Jim, and I pitched this to you today as a first ballot inductee for the Horrible Ideas Hall of Fame. Uh, we know that in Los Angeles and San Francisco and in many other places around the country, especially in the big cities, homelessness is once again becoming a major, major problem, and Los Angeles is certainly one of those. The whole areas of the city are now basically tent cities with, with the homeless, and it's a major situation. You've got Certainly tons of mental illness happening, drug addiction, probably a combination of both. And then also people who have just had terrible things happen in their lives and they're in that situation. So what to do about it? Well, there's a lot of ideas about what to do about it. One of them is going to go before the voters of Los Angeles in about 18 months, so early part of 2024. And that is going to uh, force hotels to house the homeless. Here's a brief snippet from a recent CNN report explaining how the hotel workers union is trying to make this happen in LA.
1: So the union he leads, which reps hotel workers, gathered enough signatures and Angelinos will vote on a bill that would force every hotel in town to report vacancies at 2 p.m. every day, then welcome homeless people into those vacant rooms.
0: Not surprisingly, Jim, hotel owners in Los Angeles are not excited about this idea. Uh, they say their rooms, when they've done this before, have gotten trashed, the, the other guests uh, don't feel safe, whether in an, uh, a room next door and they hear stuff going on or potentially in elevators, they see this just as a nightmare that's gonna drive away tourism and other people, not only from their hotels, but from the entire city. But of course, if you think that, if you're worried that uh, you know the homeless should not be in these hotels, Kurt Peterson of the local hotel workers union has a tired old analogy for you.
1: We don't want to head backwards into the segregated South, but that's kind of the language that they're talking about. There's a certain class of people, less than humans, animals, they almost describe as, to be honest with you.
0: And so the report says that some people think this is just the hotel workers union's way of uh, trying to drive up wages for their employees. But, uh, Jim, I don't know where on the spectrum of horrendous ideas this lands, but it's pretty high
1: i'm struck by the people who don't you know, let, let's say this actually went through <clears throat> first of all if people find um the presence of homeless people in the hotel tra- threatening in some way they're not gonna stay at that hotel ever again right way, you, you know, would it be nice to be able to find uh housing for every last homeless person in, in los angeles absolutely you don't do it by forcing businesses to house them this i, I almost wonder if like You know, so the Third Amendment, where you're not allowed to put British troops in your homes.
0: Yeah. Quartering of soldiers. Mm Yeah.
1: Okay, So I mean, this isn't, you know, quartering soldiers at homes, but it's a question of can the government make you house people in your uh, business that you don't want to. And that strikes me as getting into very, you know, constitutionally dubious waters. What's more is that this would chase away the regular customers. And I assume like is it like is there any sense of like whether the hotels would be compensated for doing
0: this? Yes, they would actually be paid, I assume, out of the government, which means taxpayers are on the hook for this. So, you know, in LA that could be hundreds of dollars a night for each homeless like, person in perpetuity. Are,
1: are there any old hotels that are shut down and for sale after the the quarantine and after the pandemic? You know, it's I figure if you're looking for you know, there are better ways to create long-term housing for homeless people. And by the way, there are some homeless people I'm sure would be perfectly reasonable, uh, easy to manage tenants or hotel guests, so to speak. But there are other ones who have drug problems, who have mental health problems, who have drinking problems, who have all kinds of problems, who would make them trashing the rooms. And the hotel, the experience of the hotel managers, You know, counts for something here. That if they, if they think this is going to destroy their business, we cannot just wa- wave our hands and say, oh, pish posh, you'll be fine. Now, if this happened, the other thing is also like, if you really, if you go ahead with this, the Marriott Corporation is going to be fine Hilton Hyatt uh, the Four Seasons, all the good hotels they'll be fine because they're national chains. They just won't have a hotel inside the city limits of Los Angeles anymore. You might see people trying to set up ones right outside the city limits or outside of the jurisdiction that enacts this. Um, but it's this, it's the you know whatever whichever ones are independently owned and operated whichever ones are not part of a giant chain we'll be stuck with it and what you'll do is you'll destroy the hotel industry in Los Angeles which is actually pretty significant if i off the top of my head you know a lot of people go visit a lot of conventions out there and things like that so um astonishingly self destructive and i you know the other so what who gets hurt if those if those hotels got a business all the hotel employees who are supposed to be represented by this union so it's just kind of baffling and wrong. It does feel like there are certain people are trying to come up with ways to destroy some of our biggest and greatest cities uh, instead of trying to help them thrive.
0: No, that's exactly right. And you're totally right about uh, the impact of this on the hotel workers themselves. Uh, if the hotels have to close. It's obviously a huge problem. They're probably thinking, well, you get max capacity every night, so therefore you got to hire more people to clean. But. If, if rooms are getting trashed, those rooms can't be used then for weeks or months at a time as they're getting renovated. And it's just a total hassle. Plus, uh, you know, if some of those people are unstable, then the workers themselves could potentially be at risk of, of physical harm. It's a difficult problem to solve. This is not the solution.
1: It's not the solution, Greg, but that won't stop them from morally preening and pretending that it is.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And treating you like the pre-Civil War South, if you disagree with them, that's always a nice touch from the left, too. So, uh, Jim, have a great Monday. We'll see you again tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell a friend about us as well. Uh, Thank you for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Also, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Don't forget about Jim's brand-new novel, Gathering Five Storms, the short story, Saving the Devil. Also, follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday, and please join us again on Tuesday for the next three martini lunch keelan darby joins me to explain how her police officer husband ben darby was wrongfully convicted for killing an armed man who was threatening police and how exculpatory information was not allowed at his trial i'm sarah carter on the latest sarah carter show keelan walks us through the case and shares how we can help ben get free i'll also share some of my disturbing interview with a human trafficker in central america Don't miss it. Follow The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.